Welcome to the Chaos Plan, where the odds may not always be in your favor. Thank you for listening to this introduction of the Chaos Plan. We will be doing these regularly as part of the Homebrew Review Podcast. Uh, After we get a couple of these released, we will start just putting them in whenever we have a new person join in the group. And that could be anyone at any time. All it takes to join the game is to donate and be a part of our Patreon page. For $2 a month, you're guaranteed this style of game as well as larger groups of four to six people, depending on how many people are able to record at whatever time we say we are going to. This will be done mostly over our Discord channel, which is another perk of our Patreon page. If you join for just a dollar, not only will you have access to all of the audio files there, but you can also listen to us live. We will be recording, like I said, on Discord, so just mute your mic and listen in on the fun. We really hope to see you all here as this is something that we are very, very passionate about and want to keep going. This is a live style game and will be a ton of fun for anybody that wants to join. If you have friends and groups, all of you guys can donate and play as a group when you are able to. I will not be the only DM. I know you guys are probably getting tired of hearing me. So we will also have guest DMs running their own games in this in my world. So we hope to see you there. Thank you for joining us once again for another introduction of the Chaos Plan. We will be having Virgil with us, and he is playing his Dwarven Monk. Hey everyone, this is Virgil. My character's name is Thorun Bronzebeard. He is a Hill Dwarf. His class is Monk. His subclass is Way of the Sword Sage. Uh, It's a fun little homebrew monk class that uses... That's kind of a mix between... Battlemaster Fighter and Monk. So I'm going to be using uh, maneuvers, using key points for superiority dice, uh, bonuses to initiative. It's all about the way of your sword, uh, focusing on uh, yourself and your weapon becoming one with it and how you can better yourself. And so some of the things are using martial weapons as uh, my monk weapons, the the superiority dice, the maneuvers from the Battlemaster Fighter, as well as bonuses to initiative, super maneuverability around the battlefield, and eventually culminating in being able to use multiple maneuvers in a single attack. As far as my character, uh, Thorun Bronzebeard is a hill dwarf, born and raised in the dwarven city of Tal Anart. Uh, it is located in the Fire Isle. Growing up, uh, he was a member of one of the original uh, founding clans of uh, Talonart. Uh, he is a, a Bronzebeard. The Bronzebeards are famous for their uh, blacksmithing, their jewel crafting, mining, as well as their fighting prowess. Uh, many of their members have been uh, revered fighters and warriors amongst the city. Thorun was very well known for his blacksmithing. That is the uh, trade that he has taken up and has uh, worked very hard on 
he follows the teachings of Moradon, uh, Moradin, the All-Father and the Revered Mother, uh, for guidance with craft. Uh, he works tirelessly, oftentimes losing himself at work in hours of the day. Uh, he is so soul focused on creating beautiful works to make his clan, his clan proud, which in turn make him proud. A little about him uh, also is Polonarch was as peaceful as a dwarven citadel can be in the Fire Isle. Um, the last real bastion of dwarven civilization uh, and also on the uh, forefront of several uh, several different dangerous war fronts if you want to call them that uh, they're kind of the front line and location citadel fortress for a couple of different war fronts throughout this peaceful time apparently uh, there was a resurgence of some undead that came from the lower levels of the kingdom and started assaulting the town. Being a Bronzebeard as one of the true original founders and clans, uh, and powerful clan of the city, uh, he led his uh, family and several other people, basically led a militia against uh, this undead force to prevent them from going further into the city. He did his fair share of fighting and slaying of creature, uh, these creatures with swords that he had forged himself. However, as they were coming near the end, a select few of the true, the most powerful vanguard within the city, uh, uh, these people known as the Soul Forge. They're an ancient order of warriors uh, trained in the most ancient and secret of fighting styles within the Dwarven city. Uh, basically, uh, it is believed that the Soul Forge have pa are, their fighting style is passed down from Moradin himself and how to be the most powerful combatants, uh, basically reforge yourself into a weapon. This select few of these uh, Soul Forge came in and decimated this undead horde that had arrived with overwhelming force. After the uh, a few days after this uh, resurgence of the undead. A clan meeting was a set was brought forth and assembled, and uh, Thorin was to be inducted into the Order of the Soul Forge for his heroism and his leadership in in combat prowess in the defense of the city. This is a huge honor that only a very select few uh, dwarves ever get a chance to be a member of. You don't just join. Uh, the Soul Forge, you must be selected to be one. Uh, so it's incredibly difficult. Um, so basically, since then, he has trained his body, his mind, and his soul to be the most powerful dwarven weapon he can be. Uh, and so, like the weapons he forges, so too has he himself been reforged into a more better being of himself and continues to reforge himself to be the best he can be. Okay, so from there we will go ahead and get a little bit started. Virgil, you had the great honor because I was a lazy DM and decided to not create the major dwarven settlement. I went ahead and let you have that honor as somebody who is going to eventually, yes, super pressure on you, uh, DM a campaign eventually in this world. Go ahead and explain a little bit about the town in which you are starting in. Uh, and then we will go ahead and get started as you leave the North Tunnel towards Fireport, towards Port City. All right. Uh, 
just so the, those of you who listen, uh, we do have an Obsidian Portal if you want to uh, take a look and uh, see all of our characters and some of the maps that uh, our DM has made for our campaign. They're wonderful. The current one, uh, I'm sure Rob will eventually update it. In the Fire Isle, the location known as the North Tunnel. Uh, the North Tunnel is one of the uh, locations that connects to the uh, Dark Bellows uh, Underdark type area of the world. And so it has a war front there. Um, the people of the Fire Isle are very uh, tough. Uh, they have a very harsh environment. Um, being underground helps with a lot of the heat of the Fire Isle. Um, but imagine, you know, uh, the Mines of Moria or Erebor, or for those of you who play like World of Warcraft, think something like Ironforge, where these giant uh, halls of stone, uh, a lot of mining, uh, forges, uh, soldiers, uh, a very much dwarven civilization under the ground, in the mountain type situation. Uh, lots of torches, mining, mining and smithing and all the metalwork, stonework is the main economic source of this citadel. There used to be more uh, dwarven civilizations, uh, dwarven citadels, dwarven kingdoms. Uh, throughout history, they have all fallen for one reason or another. Uh, as far as people know, Paul Anart, or in the common tongue, Honor Hold, is the last bastion of the last dwarven kingdom left standing in this world, as far as people know. So it is very important to the dwarven, to the dwarven people. So very much just a very the center of dwarven civilization. Honor Hold was created by uh, eight dwarven families. The Bronzebeards being one of them. At the moment, there are only seven families left. Several uh, years ago, there was a riot or a revolution of some sort, an assassination basically of one of the, the family that was the current king, the uh, lords of honor hold, um, and they have all since been killed off. Uh, the Bronzebeards at the moment are the uh, most powerful uh, and well-known of the uh, families within uh, uh, Tal Anart. Uh, as they were kind of the right hand, uh, the right hand uh, family, the best friends, uh, cohorts, if you want to put it that way, of the ruling family. So they've kind of taken up not the leadership, but more of a council-ish type position. Uh, uh, there is another family that is currently ruling in power. Uh, the other seven is currently ruling, uh, but many people believe uh, that the Bronzebeards should be the ruling. So there's a little bit of a, a, a tension, political tension amongst Tal and Art about leadership uh, leadership position. However, uh, most dwarves do not uh, really get too involved in the political situation. Uh, they're more about their work and uh, their faith and just doing the day-to-day -day things to keep things going. So, yeah, I think something like Erebor, Mines of Moria, Ironforge, uh, that kind of assist, that kind of a layout within this mountain, uh, um, and uh, just kind of a 
a slight tension within the political system. Okay. And as you said, you're kind of a hill dwarf, even though, uh, I mean, the racial subrace, you're a hill dwarf, um, but living underground kind of as the mountain dwarf-esque type stereotypical thing, correct? Yeah, well, the, the dwarves own, or the dwarves, their kingdom, uh, Tolinar is within the mountain, but there are several dwarven settlements and other settlements surrounding the mountain. Um, since the, uh, since the Red Dragon came to the Fire Isle, and a lot of the uh, uh, the landscape has changed because of such a mythical large creature they usually have damaging effects upon the environment, a lot of those settlements are starting to be lost, and so a lot of the Hilldorfs have moved into uh, Talonart. So, so yes, he is a Hilldorf that lives underground, um, but a lot of the Bronzebeards uh, were actually outside of Polinar. Uh so he is a hill dwarf. Just uh, just lives underground because of environmental circumstances. Gotcha. And then um, because you are a bronze beard, real quick, uh, what would your standing be as far as the political situation? You said you're part of one of the big families. Um, what would be your place as far as your rank, quote unquote, within the world? Would you be considered? noble or a minor lord or um, prince in waiting what would kind of be your title uh, at the moment uh, the bronzebeard's uh, patriarch uh, so Thorun's grandfather is the current lord of the bronzebeards uh, basically the head of the clan um, and is the spokesperson of the clan uh, under that uh Thorn would be part of the main branch of the Bronzebeards. Um, so a great house within the, the Fire Isles. Not necessarily yeah. the leaders, but major political figures. Yeah, I uh, think uh, 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 I don't know, like something like Game of Thrones, think like uh, Rob Stark! <laughs> yeah, think of like the Starks or uh, the Lannisters, you know, one of the head families. Not so much the king but very much a noble family, a lord of one of the seven, you know, the seven kingdoms or whatever, but of the seven families uh, that rule Colinar. Uh The Bronzebeards okay. are one of the top set, or the one of the seven original founding members of, uh, founding clans of Talonar. Uh So Thorun would be one of the head, uh, one of the head family, but being part of the Soul Forged uh, puts a little bit of political strain because favoritism, almost favoritism amongst the most powerful warriors. Uh, if people go underhanded, they go about that route. Uh, rumors have also stated that Thorun, uh, being a folk hero, one of the people who saved the city during this undead incursion, uh, should be the rightful king of Honorhold uh, as he led his clan in battle. Uh, he should be the rightful one. So there are some rumors saying that he should rule and the Bronzebeard should take rule. Uh, there's also a rumor going about, whether it's true or not, no one knows, uh, uh, but this rumor going about that uh, Thorun isn't actually a Bronzebeard. He's actually one of the... Uh, he's the last surviving member of the clan that ruled before that was all assassinated and that uh, the king, before he was killed, uh, sent his son off the Bronzebeards to be protected. Uh, so there is rumor uh, about 
Thorin actually not being a Bronzebeard. Yeah, and that he is the rightful ruler of uh, Polinar. But there's no evidence to prove one way or the other at, at the moment. Yeah, and that's actually really awesome. One of the things that I had you do and everybody do that wants to take part in the Chaos Plan is I had you uh, write me a series of rumors, and I picked this up from Pink Dice GM uh, at Pink Dice GM on Twitter. Uh, I saw this awesome post saying, In recent games, I require players to write five rumors related to their character's reputation. Two good, two bad, and one false. Then uh, pass on those rumors to the other PCs and basically see what happens. So um, we'll see what those rumors end up being. Uh, I, I, I love that kind of, I don't want to say political intrigue because it doesn't necessarily have to be, but in your case, it definitely is a political intrigue. So we yeah, will see definitely. what happens from that. All right, then. Um, so you are brandishing your longsword, Celeste. And you are leaving from the North Tunnel. You have traveled through the tunnels. Uh, most of the undead that you have experienced at this point have been mostly wounded or at the verge of undeath again or death again, um, for lack of a better term, with the undead. So there hasn't been a whole lot of issue as far as getting through the tunnels and whatnot. But the second you break through the surface you know you're in a whole nother environment. Uh, an area that is not known to you on a familiar level as the tunnels are. You have a little bit of agoraphobia almost as you step out um, because of the environment on the inside and the incursions of the fire dragons and whatnot. You have not been as a clan, like as a whole on the surface for several decades, I would almost say. Uh, so as you step out into the rocky terrain, the sun is immediately very bright. Think that first uh, step out of the vault from almost any Fallout game ever, and the light almost blinds you a little bit as you get used to it. You slowly incorporate that into your vision. And go ahead, Virgil. First, roll me a d20, a d10... And then a D six, and let me know what all six of the or what all three of those numbers are. All right. The D twenty was a seventeen. Okay. The D ten is a two. Okay. The D six was a five. All right. Give me just two seconds to set this up. Uh, I'm going to pause the recording for just five seconds. You're going to have a companion on your way, and those rolls are going to affect what your companion is. All right, um, with those roles, uh, I chose on the random list of races, classes, and backgrounds that I have here uh, as far as who your allies would be. So accompanying you is a shard mind who is a cleric of the Slayer domain, uh, whose origin is a cartographer, which seems kind of like a strange mix, but I can definitely see the shard mind as being a little bit more sentient than the others. Uh, as we have heard from Mike's introduction, uh, Shard Mines eventually broke the surface, and the surface people freaked out because these living crystal golem elementals all of a sudden broke through their perfect, idyllic, Pleasantville-style home, and uh, it freaked them all out. But you as dwarves would know that the Shard Mines are basically a crystallized sentient magical being. So it is magic that has gained a sentience 
and use different crystals to form bodies out of. So less hulking giants and more just humanoid-shaped and sized um, crystals. Uh, Slayer Domain could be any number of gods or goddesses, uh, depending on kind of the uh, alignment of the creature, but Slayer could be anything that ranges from slaying evil to anything that is unnatural. And Shard Mines as a spirit of the earth, as a sentient being created from magic and from the world that you live upon, uh, I would go ahead and say that they are worshipping a deity that is against aberrations, creatures from outside the norm. This particular Shard Mind is a cartographer and has a very, very good lay of the land. As such, they would be kind of your guide to getting out through the North Tunnel and onto your way to Fireport. So we will go ahead and kind of start under that assumption that this guide has left the city with you um, to kind of guide you to the Fireport before returning. As you know, Shard Mines are very resilient creatures and uh, frequently travel the tunnels and overland where there is quite a bit of danger involved. So we will go ahead and start from there. As you exit out of the fire tunnels, you would know from your Shardmine friend that there is the Nor, uh, there is Fireport, uh, the main town and the e- the closest area to getting a ship to going to Port City. Uh, you have been sent there to visit the lord, one of the lords there, and present him with a holy sword, a sword of radiant energy, one of divine magic. Um, being as you have fought the undead yourself personally, you know that this mission has a lot more at stake than what most people would think. The undead are a threat that you personally had to deal with. Once you leave the North Tunnel, go ahead and give me a perception check to kind of survey the area and find the easiest way down with the help of your cartographer. So go ahead and take advantage on that check. Alright, that is a 23 yeah, you are very easily able to navigate the most used path. Uh, Fireport is kind of the largest trade city uh, to the North Tunnels. Um, the North Tunnels being the entrance into the Underbellows, uh, where your city of Underhold is located. So you would know that the roads are fairly well-traveled, um, but they wind around the cliffs in order to make... Uh, travel easier for caravans and other trade vehicles. It will take let me roll here just to see randomly it would take three days to travel the road normally however if you travel over land it would only take you like scaling cliffs and whatnot taking the rougher terrain it would only take you one day uh, in order to reach uh Fireport. Would you prefer to take the well-traveled road, or would you take uh, kind of overland scaling cliffs and uh, that kind of thing? As a member of the Dark Bellows, you would have a better ability to scale cliffs and climb mountains, whatnot, uh, rough terrain in order to get to where you are going. Which would you prefer to take? Uh, with my uh, cartographer friend, uh, how would they... Uh, I'll ask for his opinion. Does uh, she feel comfortable going over cliffs, or would he feel more comfortable and more knowledgeable with uh, the well-traveled roads? 
Let me check here. Um, as a shard mind, he actually has the ability um, that it isn't an issue. He will just merge with the stone, basically, and work through the stone, kind of like a stone elemental would. So cliffs and whatnot are not an issue through for him. He can basically burrow through without an issue. It is okay. whether or not you feel up to scaling cliffs and all of that kind of stuff. Um, the fact that I'm carrying something with me of great value, uh, I'm probably going to go with the well-traveled roads. I would be concerned about falling and breaking it or uh, something along those lines. So I might take the, the longer trip, but I feel like it might be a little bit safer and easier uh to do. Okay. Um, then as you go down the regular road, um, I'm assuming you just kind of have the sword strapped to your back, or would you be carrying it in a special uh, chest uh, on a hand cart or anything like that, or would you just be carrying the sword? Uh, the sword would be in a box, uh, kind of a wooden box that would be uh, sealed uh, and then uh, tied and strapped around my back so I could carry it on my back so I'm not lugging it around the whole time. Alright, not a problem. Then go ahead and um, we're going to go ahead and roll six uh, d20 two per day basically since it will take three days. So go ahead and um, roll for the first day and the first night. So two d20. A 10 and a 13. A 10 and a 13. Uh, the better part of the day is spent just walking along this road. Nothing of note. Uh, it is very, very warm. The tunnels beneath uh, in the North Tunnel are warm because this is kind of a volcanic area. But when you reach the surface, the heat is much more noticeable. So you're definitely sweating as you're passing through. Um, the second, uh, the part of the night, the evening, right before you go to rest, go ahead and uh, roll me a d6. Oh, that's a one. A one. As you are traveling along, you find the body of a strange... Well, I guess uh, kobolds would be a creature of the Underdark as well. So uh, you recognize the body of a kobold lying on the side of the road. Um, it appears to have died of uh, some sort of martial injury, some sort of fight or altercation. Would you check it out before check or before moving on, or would you just continue on down your way? Uh, I would uh, look around uh, and then go up and check the body. See uh, if check see if the body's warm. Uh, if the blood is still, you know, if it's ble if it's a recent kill or if it's uh, been a while. All right. As you go up to check the body, the first thing you, that you notice that there are a ton of burn wounds on this kobold, but they aren't necessarily normal burns, as in like a fireball or a firebolt or something like that. These almost appear to be two small fang marks. And as you are examining that body, go ahead and uh, roll me initiative as four fire beetles burst out of the ground around this kobold and attack. All right. I rolled a 19, so that is a 21 for initiative. All right. Your shard mind buddy rolled a 16, and the fire beetles a 12. So go ahead, uh, you go first, your shard mind buddy will go second, and then the beetles after that. Alrighty, how many of them are there? Four of them, and they have basically surrounded you. Your cartographer friend would be a few feet back on the road. Okay. 
Um, what I'm going to do there is... Let's see. Alright, I'm going to attack with Celeste. Um, uh, yeah, I will attack one of the beetles. Um, and I'm going to... Yeah, I'm gonna, yeah, attack one of the beetles. Uh, that is a whopping 10 to hit. 10 does not quite hit. Their carapace is just strong enough that as you strike down against it, you didn't have the angle right, and it slides along the back of the creature. All right. Then that is a bonus action uh, to attack with uh, arm strike. Uh, that, that's a nat 20. Oh, damn. Yeah, go ahead. All right. Uh, uh, four... Plus two, so six points of bludgeoning damage. All right. With that kick, you are able to take the head clear off of one of these fire beetles as it rolls several times before coming to a very slow stop several feet away. All right. And that'll be my turn. All right. Your shard mind buddy uh, brings up his fist. And even though it's a fist, the crystals start to slowly form into almost a club type shape as he charges forward and strikes at one of these. Uh, that is a 12 plus 4, so that will definitely hit, and it deals 8 points of bludgeoning damage. And that definitely beats the 4 points of health these fire beetles uh, have as it crushes one of them. We are now under the fire beetles. One will attack you, Virgil. The other one will attack your shard mine, buddy. Okay. The one I think uh, may hit you. Uh, is that a 14 to hit? I have an AC of 15. There you go. So that totally misses you as it goes to bite you. You just kind of put your hand out on its head and its pincers are just closing in front of you. Sl- not quite able to reach. Your shard mine right. friend. Oh, damn. That was a 19. So that will definitely hit your shard mine friend. Mm-hmm. However, it only does one point of slashing damage. Uh, so your shard my friend, a little chip of crystal is coming off of its leg, but it is still totally able to fight. Uh, back onto your turn, Virgil. Alright, I will attack the uh, shard or I'll attack the bug that attacked me. Um, that is an 11 to hit. That will not quite hit either. Okay. Uh, bonus action. Uh, that's a 21 to hit. Yes, very much so. Alrighty, so that is six points of bludgeoning damage. And that is enough to end another one. Alrighty. Alright, back on to your shard mind friend. He swings once again with his club-like hand and misses big time with a four. Only the one is left against your shard mind friend, isn't it? The uh, giant beetle only rolled the two, so that will definitely not hit. Uh, back on to you, Virgil. Okay. Uh, that's a 19 to hit. Definitely makes contact. And that is seven points of slashing damage. You squish the last of the fire beetles and everything goes quiet around you. The road is once again clear. Uh, I'll check the cobalt since I didn't get a good chance to check the body. Uh, I'll check the body of the cobalt for any coin, uh, Daggers, uh, anything along those lines. Roll me percentile. Oh boy. 
That's a 92. Oh, wow. Okay, with a 92, you get two rolls on my infamous uh, loot die. Find a mundane item and coin. All right, on the cobalt he had for the mundane item. All right, he had a dagger. So a regular 1d4 dagger and eight gold pieces. This was a very rich cobalt. You're guessing he was probably uh, part of a raiding party on his way back to their main lair. So he had eight gold pieces worth of various change um, within his pouches. All right. After that, you continue on. Go ahead and roll for the second day. All righty. Not even lying. An 18 and a nat 20. All right. With the 18, you come upon a very large cliff. So it's a drop down. It would probably take another half a day to get around. Otherwise, you could try to scale the cliff with an athletics check. Your shard mind says he can just shape stone and just burrow through that crap. Uh, how, how big is this cliff? A 30-foot drop. Um, it inverts a little bit at the bottom, so it actually cuts back below where you're currently standing. But it's a 30-foot drop? Yes, it would be a 30-foot drop. And you would have whatever kit you took as part of your background. Yeah, I have 50 feet of hemp and rope from my explorer's pack, so I will get that out and uh, shimmy my way down. All right, go ahead and give me just a basic athletics check. Since you have the um, rope, it won't be terribly high. Um, athletics? Yes. Uh, six. I rolled a four, so six. All right, and with your rope, all I required would was I have a advantage. Well, with your this? with your rope, I would have only required a five, so you still passed. Oh, oh thank God. <laughs> yeah. So as you started going down, the wind picked up just a little bit, and you started swaying side to side. And you're like, "Oh God!" But you were able to uh, pretty easily stay a hold of that rope, get all the way to the bottom, and go ahead and roll me a luck check to see if you can whip the rope in order to get it to release. That's an eight. An eight. You are able to, as you whip the rope, it tears part way up. You now only have 30 foot of hemp and rope. Better than nothing. Exactly. All right, and with your nat 20, that was a good thing, though. So, with your nat 20, you are going to find upon your way a body. There is a body laying on the... a good thing. Yeah, a good thing. Uh, you find um, a body of a deceased traveler along your way. Uh, check the body for how fresh it is or any equipment they might have if they are, if they're deceased. Yeah, this body has definitely been burned to a crisp, almost as if by some sort of magical fire. Um, you're not 100% sure. And since you rolled a 20 on it, I will go ahead and give you that very special hammer that you were after uh, when we were originally talking on Facebook chat. Oh, really? Within the pack, you find a blacksmith. All of the ore that he was toting with him obviously has been melted together. However, his blacksmith tools were stowed within a container that had some sort of fire resistance. So his blacksmith's hammer has survived. Go ahead and uh, tell everybody what that hammer does. Oh, I gotta pull it up. Uh (laughs) No problem. I was not prepared for this. Uh Illidan would be very disappointed in you. 
Uh, no. Sorry. It is the uh, Dwarven Hammer of the Smith. Um, it is a blacksmith hammer with a precious gem placed in the head of it. Um, as a weapon, it's considered a mace uh, that does a D6 worth of damage, of bludgeoning damage. Um, it has a special feature called Shaped Metal. When I use it as a weapon, on a when I hit a creature wearing armor that contains metal, it reduces that creature's AC by one. Uh, and the other one is any time spent crafting or repairing metal armor. Uh, and this is where it comes down to DM if you want to make it uh, weapons as well or just weapons. Uh, any time spent crafting or repairing armor and or weapons, uh, using this hammer, the time is halved. Uh, so DM, I'll let you decide which one. I'm perfectly fine either way. We'll talk about it afterwards and let it be a surprise for the first big game. But for right now, yeah. Um, no spoilers, but you won't be fighting anybody with armor in this in this first encounter. So we will decide once you um, talk a little bit more about your character. All right. All right, so that's what you find on the body. I was saving that for a nat 20 just in case. Uh, same thing with Braden. If he rolled a nat 20 on his... Uh, Hex crawling type check. Um, something massive would have happened like that. So go ahead and roll for the third day. Alrighty. Okay, so uh, that would then be a seventeen and a uh, an eight. All right. So with the seventeen. Oh damn! Along the way, you find a very rich ore vein. So I will let you go ahead, roll me a D4 to figure out what kind of mineral it is. One copper, two, uh, we'll go with iron, three would be silver, four would be gold. Roll me a D4. Uh, okay, I was going to say, would my stone cunning, but it's not stone, so. Well, this is uh, just a luck check to see what okay. kind it would be when you find it. Okay, it is a two. A two, so uh, what did I say? Copper, iron. Go ahead, and uh, since you hit number two, which is iron ore, go ahead, and how many hours would you like to spend harvesting this ore? Uh, what time of day is it? Um, let's see. Uh, this would have been the first roll of the day, so anywhere between uh, dawn and, uh, let's say, mid-afternoon. Uh, if it was... If uh, I found it at dawn, I'd say I'd work till about noonish, uh, and then take a break, eat, uh, and then continue on the way. So probably the morning. All right, go ahead. I will roll real quick. Um, between six a.m. and noon is six hours, so I roll a d6 to see how many hours you spend. Uh, okay. What was that, Virgil? Uh, I rolled a three. A three. All right. You spend three hours um, harvesting this ore that you find very near the surface. Uh, and you are able to very easily harvest 60 gold pieces, or uh, excuse me, uh, 60 silver, so six gold worth of iron ore out of this. As this is raw material, you will have to spend downtime days in order to forge it into bars and whatnot in order to make it sellable. But you are very easily able to harvest quite a bit of iron ore out of this vein that is here. Okay. All right. Go ahead and roll for the evening of the uh, third day. Uh, that was an eight. An eight. Absolutely nothing happens. All quiet on the western front as you see the 
lanterns and the fires, the ever-burning fires of Fireport in front of you. Would you like to attempt to enter the city very, very late slash early in the morning, like midnight to 3 a.m.? Would you like to try and enter the city there, or would you wait until morning camping kind of outside the gates? Uh, I'll wait till uh, outside the gate. Uh, That way I can just find a ship first thing in the morning. All right. As you approach, uh, you see the guard very, very obviously takes notice of you and your Shardvine companion and kind of is at the ready a little bit, almost, you know, with that horn up, ready to blow the alarm, but sees you set up camp and kind of relax for the night, probably 150, 200 feet out from the gate, uh, within running distance pretty easily, but not within threatening distance. And uh, he eventually relaxes. Uh, You see the shift change happen, and uh, morning comes. As the morning comes, the guard kind of waves you through as the gates begin to open at first dawn. You walk into the city of Fireport. Uh, Would you do any kind of business or any kind of trading while you were there before you attempt to find a ship? Uh, Fireport would be a big enough, uh, I don't want to say a metropolis, but... They are literally the only big town on this entire island, so they would have pretty much everything you needed. Uh, Would you do any kind of trading or any kind of connection making before you uh, headed on your way? Um, I might go talk with the local smiths or the local smelters and see if I might be able to sell uh, some of this iron that I have with me or uh, uh, trade it for... uh, a different ore of some kind, maybe. Or see if I could use the uh, forge and refine it for a little bit. All right. Um, series of questions that go along with that. First off, would you have an affiliation with any of the guilds? Uh, since you've been in a lot of my previous games, you have some insider knowledge on how my guild system works. Would you have any kind of affiliation one way or the other? Um, Fighters and uh, merchants would probably be the two biggest um, crafters, obviously. But uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are the old ones. Uh, I'm probably going to go with, uh, well, do you think uh, the guilds would have set shop with Tallinart, Robert? Or do you think uh, Tallinart's kind of out of the way? Because I wasn't sure how connected to the rest. I mean, Tallinart has a lot of dwarven, uh, dwarven-made things, because we're dwarves. Uh, uh, so I wasn't sure what connection with the guild the city would have. As you said that it is the last major dwarven settlement, you can choose three out of the six guilds that are major within the city. So those six guilds would be mages, merchants, fighters, tinkers, temple, and shadow. Which of those three would be the biggest three within the city? Uh, fighters would probably be one of them. Merchant would probably be the second. Oh, that's the tough. The third one's the tough one. Maybe Temple with Moradin and the Allfather? Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, either the Temple or the Shadow because of the Dark Fellows. Um, shadow, you won't know if it's involved or not. Okay. Uh, then, yeah, I'd probably say uh, then the Temple would probably be the next one. Okay, then yeah, uh, then it totally is up to you as one of the big families which guild you would have a tie to. Um, you could have a major and a minor tie. Obviously, the major would trump. 
Um, minor ties would be like you're talking to them and trading with them, but not necessarily BFFs. You know, uh, Instagram photos every time you get a get together, kind of a thing. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably traditionally the Bronze Spirits would be closer to the Fighters Guild and then the Merchants Guild. So more armor and weapons than mundane items. Yeah, uh, they're more for the. Bronzefield beards are known more for blacksmithing, jewel crafting, and metalwork more than uh, 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 anything else. All right, but but, the, but they're also uh, make up a good chunk of militant force and whatnot within Polinar. All right, and just as a real quick breakdown for you, the Fighters Guild would have weapons and armors, which would definitely be the um, armor and weaponsmithing. The Merchant's Guild would make up trinkets, accessories, other magic items um, along with that. Um, the Temple would obviously make up anything that is divine-based. So you kind of said all three. Um, would you be more along the lines of um, war, or would you be more along the lines of profit? Which would be more important to your family? Uh, probably defense. Uh, so probably militant force, so probably Fighters Guild. Okay, yes. Then I will go ahead and say that you have a tie to the Fighters Guild. If you would already like to be a quote-unquote member, you are welcome to be, um, which would give you some insider knowledge, as well as the kind of location of the Fighters Guild, um, if not kind of who the contact person would be within there. Um, actually, I think at the moment I'm going to go unaffiliated with them. Uh, I would feel like being part of the Soulforge, uh, being part of my temple, I wouldn't want to get involved with a guild to, to try and pull me away from certain, uh, from, the, you know, the main mission kind of a deal. So I'd probably associate with them. I would know of them, uh, doing dealings with them in the past, but I would not be a full member. Okay, not a problem then. Yeah. So then, um, which of the uh, areas would you search out first? The Merchants or the Fighters Guild in order to sell that ore and whatnot that you found? Uh, I would probably look probably... Well, would I think more for smelting and whatnot Fighters Guild, or would that be more of a Merchants area? Either or. It will cost you a fee if you want to smelt it yourself. Otherwise, there will be a percentage off of whatever the sell value is. Um, if you just sell the ore straight out. It will be the same percentage either way. If you smelt it yourself, um, it might be a little bit different since you have ties to the Fighters Guild. Uh, I might try and smelt a little bit of it myself. That way I can make something with it later. Alright, go ahead and roll me a check with that. Um, technically it says that item check, or that um, kit checks are usually done with intelligence. However, since it's smithing... I will let you do either intelligence, constitution, or strength. Strength, obviously, because you're pounding the metal, you're doing the heating. Constitution, because of the endurance it takes. Or intelligence, because of simply that's what's written in the book, and it does take a little bit of a mind to know what you're doing. Uh, would I have proficiency with this? Yes, uh, blacks you have proficiency in blacksmithing, correct? Correct. Yep, then you would add your proficiency to that. So then whatever other modifier, either strength, constitution, or intelligence, whichever you want to stick with it, 
Uh, but once you do it, write it down, and that will be your blacksmithing from now on. Okay. Uh, oh, that's not bad. Uh, let's see. I rolled an 18, so uh, I might do constitution then, because that's my higher skill. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it makes sense. I mean, smelting ore would definitely be something that would be a very endurance-based ability. Yeah, and my character, one of his personality things is he gets lost in his work, so doing it over and over, kind of just for hours on end, so I would say an endurance thing. So that would have been a 22. Yeah, with a 22, that is more than enough. You are able to receive... Uh, would you keep any of the ore for yourself, or would you sell it all for gold? Um, I'll probably sell half of them and keep the other half. Alright, then you would gain 15 gold pieces uh, is what you get personally. Uh, so yeah, I'll keep 15 I'll keep the 15 gold for the one side or of ingot and then uh, 15 gold worth of ingot, 15 silver. Uh, 15 gold worth of ingot um, okay. for weapons because I think a long sword is like 8 or 9 gold pieces or no, not... Uh, 45, I think. Yeah, so basically 15 gold pieces worth of um, iron is what you were able to recover after the impurities were processed and you actually melted it into bars and everything else was taken into account. Alright, so you add that to your personal stash. Um, after that, would you do any other kind of shopping, looking around, contacting before you hit some sort of vessel to head to Port City, or what would you like to do? Your shard mine friend would have obviously already said goodbye at this point and uh, headed back to your homeland. Okay. Uh, probably, I might look at some of the swords that are at the smith to compare them to uh, what I forge as well as get some ideas for uh, what I can do to better my own crafting, and then, but I wouldn't buy anything. I'd just window shop, uh, take a look at stuff, and then I'd go, go find a ship for my, my mission. All right, go ahead and roll me a D four real quick. That's a three. A three. You know that the next ship leaving for Port City will depart in three days. So for day oh. number one, you're going to kind of window shop and look around at the different smithies and whatnot for abilities and techniques. Yeah, spend a little bit of time just observing, see if I can better my blacksmithing or adapt some of the uh, styles and see how more stuff compares to the other stuff they might have. All right. As um, I'm going to run mostly out of the handbook, so you'd be able to craft all of the regular um, martial weapons. Um, if you would like to, I will give you one of two options. Either with this day, you can craft two items of exotic gear, uh, which is found in that PDF that I sent you earlier, or I will let you roll a percentile die. If it is, if it is more than 50%, I will let I will allow you to add a unique property to your ability to craft. Which would you prefer? I'll roll a percentile die. Alright, if it's more than 50%, you can roll a unique ability. Oh my gosh, that's a 98. Holy crap! Uh, yeah. Roll me. I'm sure you don't have a coin to flip. So, um, roll me a d4. If it's a one or a two, you get one property. If it's a three or a four, you get two properties. That's a one. 
That's a one. All right, you gain the ability to figure out how to connect chains to the weapon, um, God of War style, so you cannot be disarmed. So you are able to figure out how to craft a weapon that you cannot be disarmed with. So go ahead and add that to your repertoire. Um, I'm going to say just arbitrarily for right now, uh, I'll figure it out more extensively later, but we're going to say that it is 20 gold pieces right now to craft a weapon that is undisarmable. All right, day two, what would you like to do? Uh, you spend, uh, what kind of inn would you stay in? A low-class flophouse, a middle-class whatever, or a higher-class, totally secure inn? Uh, just a middle-class, uh, just a middle-class place. All right, roll me a, a d20. Let me know if it's five or lower. It is a five. It is a five. All right, in the middle of the night, you hear a, you are awoken by a strange creaking sound. Roll me a perception check. Uh, that is plus five. That is a fourteen. Fourteen? Yeah. You see climbing in your window a uh, fairly typical pickpocket is what you can assume. Somebody in tattered gray robes that has slowly opened the shutters of your in room, of your, uh, the room in your inn and is kind of creeping towards your bed. What would you do? Uh, he's crawling into the room? He just pulled open the shutters, has stepped into the room. He's got about 10, 15 feet to your bedside. Uh, I would, uh, grab my sword, uh, Celeste, and, uh, confront this individual real quick. All right, would you actively attack him as he is not expecting this, or would you try to, like, intimidation check? What would you do? Uh, I would just draw a sword and more of an intimidate check at the moment, since he hasn't done, well, broke into the room. He hasn't done anything yet. All right, go ahead and roll me the intimidation check. Uh, an intimidate, that is a... Woo-hoo! That's a All right. He is bolstered by the fact that you're kind of groggily... Almost the sword tip is swaying back and forth. He is going to go ahead and uh, lunge at you. Roll me uh, initiative. Okay. That's a 19. Oh, damn. That's a two. Uh, plus two. So uh, go ahead and you make the first whatever you would like to do. Uh, does he have any weapons on him? Yeah, when you kind of waved his, your sword at him, and said, hey, what the hell are you doing in here? He would have drawn his dagger out of his cloak. Okie dokie. Alrighty. So, I'm going to attack this individual with my sword. Um, that is a 11. 11 will not quite hit. He is just gangly enough to kind of lean back out of the way of that sword swing. Okay. Then I am going to use my bonus action to attack. All right. Uh, unarmed strike. Uh, that is a 16 to hit. More than enough. Okay. I am going to spend one key point to use a disarming attack. Damn. Um, so, spend the one key point. I'll roll the damage with an unarmed strike, so it's a d4. All right, so, oh, that's not cool. Uh, that's 
I get five points of damage, of bludgeoning damage, and he must make a strength saving throw. All right. And he rolled a 16. Okay, he passed. All right, he is just able to hang on to his dagger. Um, that's the end of your turn? Uh, yeah, that would be the end of my turn. All right, he plunges the dagger, uh, trying to get to the center of your mass, uh, being as it's low light in here. He is very clearly human. Uh, that is a 14 plus 3, so 17. That'll hit. All right, that'll hit. He deals... <laughs> I rolled a 1 plus 2, so that is 3 points of damage to you as he plunges your dagger into your middle. So it just pierces your armor. Uh, you definitely feel the pinch of the dagger, but not necessarily incapacitated. It is back onto your turn. Alrighty. Uh, I will attack and make it. Um, that's 10. Not quite enough uh, once again. Bonus action to attack. Uh, that's a 19 hit. More than enough. Um, I'm going to attempt to disarm him again. Alright. Uh, five points of damage again. Okay, he is... must make a strength save. He is barely standing, and that was an 11. Okay, he, uh, my DC was 13, so he drops his weapon to the ground. Yes, you smack the dagger out of his hand, catching him on the forearm, uh, cutting those tendons that let him hold on to the knife, and it falls to the ground. And that is the end of my turn. All right, he will, um... Well, since he's basically out of shit that he can do... Uh, he is going to kind of put his hands up and say, Whoa, I'm sorry, I I, I didn't realize you were so powerful. Uh, let, just let me live and you can have my dagger. It's worth some money, I swear. Um, his arm bleeding profusely as he kind of takes a step back towards the window. He doesn't move out of your range for an opportunity attack, but he kind of leans back as if he's going to. And we are on to your turn. Uh... I'm going to, uh... Actually, go ahead and make me a perception check real quick. Or what is your passive percent? Uh, passive is a 15. All right, that is enough. You see with on his cloak, he has an embroidered dagger with a drop of poison off of the end of it. You can tell that he is a Shadows Guild member. Uh, okay, that, that makes a difference. Um, I will... Uh, uh, move a little closer and ask him what the shadow. What does the shadow guild want with me? Uh, he would say, uh, "Well, you're a traveler in town and from the Underdark, and everybody knows that dwarves make all the best shit. So we were, you know, just trying to see what you had. Most dwarves that come up to the Fireport are traders, so we just wanted to, you know, loosen your per or lighten the load on your purse just a little bit." Uh, we, did, we didn't mean any real harm. I was just supposed to slash it, take some gold coins, and get out of here. Go ahead and roll an insight check. Insight. That is a 15. You're pretty sure he's being honest. Maybe not 100%, but at least 75% of the, the stuff that he's saying is is true. Okay. Uh, uh, I will... Uh, I'm going to call out to the guards... Uh, and yell thief, uh, and then I'm gonna uh, look back at the uh, the guy and say, uh, "You're not going anywhere. You'll answer to the law." Uh, uh, 
we'll see what the law decides to do with you. Okay, as you call out for the guards, he makes a dash for it, make an opportunity attack. And are you going to do this lethally or non-lethally? Non-lethal. Non-lethal. So basically take my my sword and blunt blunt side to the the side of his knee, kind of trip him. That's a one feet to hit. Yep, and with his one whole health point, you trip him and his head smacks on the sill of the window, and he goes unconscious at your feet. Okay. I'm going to take that little bit of 30-foot rope that I have left and uh, hog-tie him so that when he wakes up and kick the dagger uh, kick the dagger away so that he can't reach it. Uh, and you know, disarm, you know, take any knives or anything that he has off of him uh, just so he doesn't have anything uh, dangerous or pointy or anything like that. And then hog-tie him, wait for the guards. All right. Would you loot the body then while you're waiting for the guards to arrive? No, no. Okay. Uh, then the guards eventually arrive. The one dagger is kind of scooted underneath your bed. Um, it's a simple dagger, 1d4, typical whatever. Um, and then he is hauled off by the guards. The, the innkeeper apologizes profusely um, for this incident that happened. He had no idea. Go ahead and roll me an insight check. Seven. You definitely believe this sleazy-ass, greasy-haired innkeeper that he had no idea what was going on uh, as he looks slightly disappointed. Um, but, uh, yeah, so the day ends up happening, and then we were on to the next day. I believe this is day three when you would be departing, correct? Yeah. All right. So the morning arrives, the innkeeper wishes you well, though he is slightly disheartened for a reason you cannot quite discern. But um, he departs. You have, of course, the dagger now in your possession, um, and you are able to find a ship with relative ease. The captain says, well, we could use a good blacksmith on board, as our last blacksmith is currently below the waves we don't want to talk about it. Don't worry too much about it. Uh, you know your way around a sword, correct? And he just kind of nods, not even waiting for your answer. Um, and you take off across the sea. Is this all okay with you? Uh, yes, this will be fine. All right. Any other supplying you would have done before actually stepping on the suicide mission? I mean, on the ship mission? Yeah. Okay. Uh, just restock restock my food rations, uh, water supply, all that kind of stuff. Uh, yes, you're very easily able to do so. As you sail across the sea, go ahead and roll me 4d20. And uh, tell me each number consecutively. If it's more than 18, something will happen. Uh, standard rolls? Yep, just straight roll. <laughs> a 6, a 9, a 6, and an 8. Absolutely nothing happens. You, you know, s- not always a bad thing. <laughs> exactly. You see Port City approaching as you get close, and not a whole lot is going on. The crew members you have become fairly decent friends with. Go ahead and roll me a charisma check. Uh, If you have a charisma skill with it, um, other than deception or intimidation, uh, go ahead and add that into it. Uh, uh, Nope. Uh, So that is a 14 a 14. You get to be acquaintances with the crew members on board. Um, having fixed uh, several of their daggers, you sharpened them, uh, got rid of the pits because, you know, salt does nasty things to weapons if it's left too long in the sea, uh, so on and so forth. So you get to be fairly good friends with these sailors. 
And you know that your next trip, go ahead and write this down because I promise you I will never remember. Uh, the next journey that you take back to the fire, the fire aisles will be uh, at half price for anybody that you bring with you. Okay. So you get to be pretty good friends with the sailors on the... Let me use my random generator to figure out the name of the ship. We're going to call it the Sea Dragon because that's the only one that I've found that's appropriate. So the uh, ship named the Sea Dragon, if you use its services again, any of the gold that it takes to travel back to the Fire Isles uh, will be at half price. All right. Uh, so you got to be pretty good friends with the uh, individuals there, and you arrive at Port City. Uh, what would you like to do from here? Would you visit any of the associated guilds? Would you do any kind of shopping? Um, what would you do here? And if you want to make any kind of checks to remember anything or uh, any kind of contacts, that kind of thing, go ahead and tell me what. Justify it to me, and you can roll it. Uh, I would say, uh, now that I'm in Port City... Uh, first thing to do is uh, try and get my mission accomplished that I came to do. Uh, I'd head towards uh, my contact or to the people I'm supposed to meet for my mission. Alright, did you ever identify what kind of lord it was that was in charge of this, or just a lord? Uh, well, the mission was to get clerics and paladins uh, especially. So my guess would be uh, who's ever in charge of the Temple Guild or uh, uh, something along those lines or a lord of Port City who uh, deals with a lot of the Temple Guild or the paladins uh, and clerics around the area. Gotcha. Go ahead and roll me either an investigation, a perception, or... Oh, damn. Okay, yeah, you know right where this freaking lord is. You know that he is one of the more righteous lords. Uh, let me random generator once again for the name of this lord, unless you named him. Did you name him? No. Alright. He is Lord... He is Lord Brightblade, which I know is super stereotypical paladin-esque, but Lord Brightblade is the one that you would be commissioned to deliver this sword to. His manner, you would know, is on the outskirts of town. Uh, in front of his great home, uh, you worship Morden, correct? Correct. All right. You know that the House Brightblade worships the deity of Gund, god of craftsmen. However, you still deliver this blade to him, and he is eternally grateful and promises to send the commission onto your family house. Uh, as soon as he is able, and sends a messenger on his way. Uh, he also says, after inspecting you, that if you would like to remain within the city, he would give you a recommendation to the guild of your choice. Uh, if you would like to join one of the guilds and perhaps become a commodity to the city to help expand the portal network. Uh, as dwarves are not frequently seen in this area, and as he well knows, having ordered all of his weapons for his knights and his uh, small army under his command from dwarves, he would know that your people are very, very hardy, very, very stalwart and uh, loyal uh, individuals, very grounded in this world. He would recommend you to any guild, given the craftsmanship of this blade. 
Would you accept um, a recommendation, or would you try to return to your house and then seek out a guild upon your own later on? Uh, I would gladly accept a recommendation. Uh, however, I'll be writing back to uh, writing back to my home uh, to ask for uh, their recommendation, uh, as well as writing to uh, the Soul Forge to see what they uh, need of me. Uh, and what they would recommend, but I'll be staying in Port City until I hear a response. You would already that Port City is kind of the center of everything. Yeah, you would already know that the Soul Forge, depending on which uh, emphasis you placed on uh, with the Soul Forge, if you placed your power more upon the divine uh, worshiping uh, Morden and taking your power of the All Father, they would recommend the Temple. If you found your power within your own martial prowess, your own ability, they would recommend the Fighters Guild. If you, as a crafter of the Bronzebeard family, took your pride and everything from there, they would recommend either the Fighters or the Merchants. Um, or if you were kind of an outlier, either the, either the Shadow or the Mages Guild would have a place for you as well. Uh... I'd probably go Fighters, uh, Fighters Guild, uh, because, well, the Soul Forge is all about making yourself better through fight the te- the fighting styles of Morden his teachings on better fighting, uh, as well as, as the Bronzebeard being military power and, uh, that sort of thing. Alright, so within Port City, you are able to meet with Dane... Silverlight. He is the leader of the Fighters Guild within the Isles, and you would know that he is a Silver Dragonborn. Um, he has the coloring more of a worn blade, more a gunmetal, less shiny, darker, more worn um, Dragonborn, and he is definitely not a man to be uh, messed with. You would know that Dane has very little patience, for uh, the politics and the silver-tongued words of the bards and politicians of the area. So upon entering the Fighters Guild, they would immediately assess, because you are a member of the Soul Forge, they would immediately see that you are definitely somebody that is worth, uh, uh, that is used to taking punishment, and uh, not only taking punishment, but delving out punishment. Um they would see that you were kind of worth your metal, and they would slowly induct you into the Fighters Guild. So, as such, I will send you that info uh, as to the guild ranks and whatnot as soon as we finish supporting. But you are a inducted member into the Fighters Guild. Uh, they would definitely accept you as a dwarven powerhouse, as well as a crafter of amazing artifacts, items, and weapons. Alright. Alright, so after doing that, um, as I said, you have found the uh, items that you have found. You have not necessarily been paid for the item you delivered, as that would have been passed on to your family, but you do now have a rank within the Fighters Guild. So we will go ahead and stop for this recording. Is there any other last comments you would like to make um, on behalf of your character? Explain anything, talk about anything, give any last comments? Uh, 
the only thing I think is uh, Celeste, the sword. I don't think that I uh, that I carry. I don't think I mentioned anything about it. Yeah, go ahead and talk about your sword. Uh, the sword I carry is called Celeste, or the Sword of the Forge. Um, it has its name in Dwarvish, which is hard to read, but I found tried to put it in Dwarvish um, for the name of it. Um, I have forged the sword myself. It has taken... Uh, it took a little over 30 days uh, of precious metal and uh, blood, sweat, tears, all that happy fun stuff, uh, really pouring my soul into it through training, uh, all of my teachings that I've had, uh, uh, at the moment is considered a, uh, not so much a holy sword, but it was, uh, forged very similar to the sword made, uh, for, uh, the Lord Bright, uh, Brightblade, uh, where it does do extra damage to, uh, undead, uh, so basically I get a plus one to attack uh, in damage against undead, as well as an approved crit range of 19 to 20 uh, versus undead creatures at the moment. So it has an undead bane ability. Um, the other abilities it gets, uh, I can reforge the sword over and over again, adding different elements to it, uh, thus changing uh, the... Uh, passive abilities as well as some of the active abilities that have as at the moment uh the undead bane comes from the fact that i uh made it into a holy weapon when i was uh crafting it and then there's one other ability that's not going to come into play however uh when uh i'll just point hint to maybe what it might be uh when that uh undead incursion happened uh it gained a special ability uh after that battle because of uh, certain creatures that were killed that I fought against while I was there. So uh, forging it after that battle gave it certain abilities that hopefully I never have to use. But if I do, uh, it'll be pretty exciting to see what team uh, does. All right, then. Yeah, we will discover what those abilities are if they ever happen. Uh, however, being undead in nature, I will let you guys speculate as to what those abilities are. Thank you very much, Virgil, for joining me on this introduction to the Chaos Plan. Hopefully we can get you on your first mission very, very soon, and uh, we will go from there. So thank you very, very much, Virgil. Do you have any last uh, moment things to say to all the listeners? Uh, just thank you guys for all the support you give us and uh, continue supporting us and thank you Bob for uh, hosting these games and making it really customized for every person uh, I encourage everybody to uh, if you want to be part of the game go for it it's a lot of fun we have a we all have a great blast uh, doing these games so I encourage everyone to uh, give it a try I see what happens uh, Bob does a really good job as a DM to personalize everything for us uh, so that we get the experience that we want. Hashtag blush. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Thank you very much, dude. Uh, I will talk to you later, alright? Sounds good. Thank you for listening to this introduction of The Chaos Plan. Hopefully, we will be very soon starting to record the full games, and once we do, they will be available for listening up on our Patreon account. We hope you really enjoyed it. Uh, I know this is a ton of fun for us here, 
and we are open to bringing in absolutely anybody that wants to. Just join our Patreon account, and we promise that you will be a part of the Chaos Plan game. You will get an intro mission like this, and then at least one group mission, and when scheduling works out with everybody, we can get multiple groups going, as this isn't going to be one continual storyline. This is going to be a series of one-shots that all meld together into an overarching idea and campaign. So if this is something that interests you, if there's a homebrew you really want to play, if there's a class, a race, something that really resonates with you with you that you think would be a lot of fun to bring here, we encourage you to join the Patreon, put it up, and we will make it happen. Uh, you will also get a custom magic item that will grow with you throughout the campaign, and you can help use that item to shape the adventure in what you do. So if this is something that you feel interests you, please, please, please join our Patreon account and we would be more than happy to get you on the show here. To do that, go to patreon.com slash adventuringguild and I hope to see you there.